You don't build a loyalty club if you have below average service and below average amenities. Yes. If you do those things, you will epically fail. You have to be on, on your game, and you should be on top of your game big time. And we always think we can do better every single day. So what makes Michigan a great state? I'm glad you asked. My name is Cliff Dubinois, and I'm on a quest to answer that exact question. After 20 years, I've returned to my native Michigan, and I'm looking to reconnect with my home state. I'm talking to the people who are behind Michigan's great businesses and top destinations. The same people who work hard every day to make our lives a little bit brighter. And you, Michigander, are coming along for the ride. This is the Call of Leadership Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Call of Leadership Podcast. Today, uh, my guest, not only is he a good friend of mine, he has been operating in the hospitality space for over 45 years. Didn't mean to, to date you there, sorry. But he is the chief operating officer of the Bavarian Inn Lodge, father, husband. He is active in so many different uh, groups and communities, and, and I'm sure we will cover that in the interview to come. But ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the show, Chief Operating Officer Jim Engel. Jim, how are you? Wonderful, Cliff. Thanks so much for getting together with me to talk about something fun. And I will share this right now. I've been trying to get Jim on the podcast now ever since I started. He kept saying, no, no, no. Finally, he said yes. I think there were a lot more important people for you to reach out to before little old Jim. <laughs> <laughs> so I got in the queue finally now. <laughs> awesome. This is great. So why don't you tell us a little bit about where you're from? Where did you grow up? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. I, uh, I'm blessed to have been born and raised in Frankenmuth, Michigan, and uh, we're known as Michigan's Little Bavaria, and it's a Bavarian-themed resort kind of town. So uh, I was blessed to, uh, my heritage comes to Frankenmuth from Germany in 1890. Talk about going back. Nice. To the very beginning, the Frankenmuth founders came in 1845, though. So my family, the Engels, came about, uh, in, in English, Engel. Uh, the Germans would say Engel. The Engels came over in uh, 1890. And so I've had many generations of my family here. And I uh, was growing up and going to high school, and I was looking for a summer job, and I walked downtown, and I was going to apply at, there are two huge restaurants, Bavarian Inn Restaurant and Zender's Restaurant. And I was just going to walk into Bavarian Inn and apply, and I was going to walk into Zender's and apply right afterwards and see who'd give a 15-year-old kid a kitchen job. When I got to Bavarian Inn, I was interviewed by one of the owners, Judy Zender, and I had met her just two weeks prior. I was trying to I was in high school pitching ads for a program for a musical in high school, Sound of Music. And I was trying to pitch the ad to her, and I was taught how to do that by a teacher who was teaching us how to sell, right? So I had that meeting two weeks earlier, and I gave her the spiel I was taught, and I said, would you like to buy an ad, Judy? And she said, no. <laughs> and I was, I was taken a little back by the instant kind of a cold no, and I, I said, well, why not? And, uh, and we ended up having a conversation, and she bought the ad in the end. So when I come back two weeks later, number one, she recognized my last name and then recognized that my dad was her next-door neighbor as a child, so she knew the family. And I was hired before I ever crossed the street. <laughs> <laughs> and like you said, 45 years ago, that was 45 years ago. So I kind of grew up in the company now. You grew up in the company. So let's, let's take a step back here. Why did you decide to stick with the service industry? You know, that's a, that's a good way to write, say that question because 
I didn't intend to stay in it at first, of course. I was having a summer job as a kid. And then I went to college and I commuted. Uh, so I commuted to University of Michigan Flint. I was getting my accounting degree. And I kept working because I lived right here and I could keep working and commute. And so uh, it was still just summer jobs. In, in the winter, I worked too, but not as much because I was more intensely involved in school. But I worked year-round. And so I finished college, got my four-year degree, and... At the right time, Judy said, well, we're thinking about building a hotel on the other side of the bridge. Now, mind you, in the restaurant, I'd worked all over. I worked in the kitchen. I worked in the lobby as a lobby greeter. I was a host. I worked uh, city tours, taking bus groups of people, or it wasn't a bus. It was a Jeep with a trailer, and taking people around Frankenmuth on a historical tour, and I was, would talk into a microphone while driving the Jeep with people. Wow. And then, you know, we had a summer theater, so I worked in the theater stuff in the summer. And then... Uh, I worked in accounting as a co-op. You know, you had co-op. Even in college, you could do co-op kind of stuff. So uh, I worked in accounting and sales department before that. And so it was. I was getting ready to shop for a career job, and they said, we're thinking of building a hotel on the other side of the river. So I jumped right in when the design phase of the original 100 Rooms came about in 1984. You were getting ready to shop for a job, but then Judy came to you and said, hey, we're going to build this hotel across the river. And you're like, I'm in. What was it? Yeah, that's a very good good question too, Cliff. The first thing is, I wasn't passionate about moving away, but I was, it's a little town. And I'm thinking, what's the likelihood I'm going to find a decent career job? And I was working at a, remember, that was a big restaurant. That's a restaurant that was serving 800,000 meals a year at the very yes. end. Mm-hmm. There were, you know, they were one of the largest, they and Zenders were the largest independent restaurants in the nation at the time. There's a few more big ones now, but there weren't back then. And so I didn't think there's any opportunity for leadership because there was a lot of managers already working there. Right. So here's an opportunity where it's something new. She said, we're building 100 rooms. I don't know where it'll go from there. So I thought, I love the idea of being close to home. I already had a girlfriend who's now my wife of nearly 38 years now. And so we went and uh, I talked about it seriously with her too, about living here versus other places. And so we decided, I, I decided, I love hospitality. It's an opportunity to do something from the ground up. Why not? She said, you know, you might want to do this for three or five years. Who knows? Maybe we'll build on and maybe we won't build on. We don't know. We just don't know what the future holds. And that was six expansions ago. Nice. Love it. And for the audience, I do want to point out that this was actually an in-depth conversation that I had with Dorothy Zender about the history and, and how this whole idea came about and how they financed it and stuff. So definitely go back and check out that interview there. Now, Jim, so you jump in on the, on the ground floor of the lodge. It's being built. Like you said, it was initially the, the, the hundred rooms that were, were being built. What was your position at that time? Did you still think there was going to be more room for you to go up in upper management? I mean, obviously, you're the chief operating officer. Yes. Back then, I was just called an operations manager. And over time, I became what was called an assistant general manager, then a general manager, then a chief operating officer. But we, you know, we had to do everything manually. There was, remember, there was no internet yet. You know, we weren't using internet. There was no... So people had to call and make reservations. Yeah, there were no networks. There was no computer networks yet. We had Apple IIe green screen computers Ooh. and dot matrix printers that we were, you know, word, did Word documents off of, basically, and old-fashioned copy machines. So the technology is so different then. So I had to learn how to create a reservation system to take reservations over the phone for about 
I don't know, eight different room types within 100 rooms. And so I went and worked for a couple of weeks at a uh, hotel in Plymouth, Michigan, which no longer exists. It was called the Mayflower Hotel, family operated. The family members there knew the Bavarian and Zender family very well and vice versa. And they sent one of their managers to come up here for a few oh, nice. weeks to work in our big restaurant because they had two restaurants in their hotel. And uh, vice, so we did kind of a trade out and I learned everything about how they did their motor coach tours and how they did paper reservations. And I kind of modeled our entire system off of theirs. So I had to do that up front before we ever opened. So we did. We bought everything. I had to help specify and buy carpet with Judy and telephone systems and draperies and and uh, everything that went into a hotel room. We had to buy from scratch ourselves. We're not part of a chain where some leadership, you know, gives you the array of negotiated prices and you ha- you go with it. We had to do it from scratch, all on our own. Jumped right in, both feet. <laughs> Man, that's really that's really awesome that you were so so much involved in the in the well the birth of this. It was blueprints, yeah. It started right with the blueprints part, absolutely. So you've got the lodge, you created this paper system, you're making reservations. It, obviously, it's a hit because if memory serves, not too long later there was an expansion that, is that was planned and started going up. That is true. We uh, we realized, well, first of all, it was, you know, kind of in the world of holodomes where there was holiday inns had pools surrounded, a pool surrounded by guest rooms. And that was a pretty popular thing. Well, so this is a Bavarian themed version of a similar thing. Meeting space for 275 people, a dining room, a bar and a pool area and 100 guest rooms. That's what we were. And we had a lobby. That's the whole place. And so it was... Uh, quickly uh, came to a realization that, wow, it's really busy. We have to start tracking the number of people who we turn away. And that was one of the key factors in realizing we can add on sooner, not later. Sure. And we we literally, in the reservation book, had an area where we were doing stroke marks on each day. So if they wanted a three-night stay and only one of the three was sold out, we put a hash mark on all three pages because we lost three nights of revenue because we oh. didn't have the one night available. And they needed three nights or they couldn't stay. You know, it's still the way it works today. If you only have one of two nights and they want two nights, they're going to go somewhere else, right? Typically, at least. So we, we started a feasibility study based on the turnaways that we had from our guests and created a model to demonstrate to our banks that they should look at loaning us some more money. Of course, that happened. And we did that again with a third phase of rooms. We had 100 rooms. We built uh, 98 more rooms and uh, opened in 1989. We opened in 86. Then in 89, we had the 98 rooms. Then we added 162 more rooms. And I think we opened those in 93. So how many rooms total do you have now? 360. Oh, wow. That's awesome. All named after local German families, which could be its entire separate podcast, but we won't go there. (laughs) But we have all this heritage. Every room's got a carved plaque with a German name on the door and their family histories inside. By the way, I, I have I, I completely spaced on that until you just brought it up because I've actually stayed here a couple of times and I'm walking down the hallway and I'm seeing all these names and I always wonder whose room I'm going to be staying in that night. That's right. The family kind of thinks it is their room. They'll bring family from out of town over and say, hey, can we show them my, our room? <laughs> they want to show off the pictures because family submitted pictures of the original settlers or their birth certificates from Germany. Oh, and that's like so that. cool. Yeah, there's a lot of history that we've got here. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. We're celebrating our heritage. That's what this whole Bavarian theme's about. We're celebrating our heritage. So let's talk a little bit more about celebrating the heritage here. When you're designing the hotel, and I've stayed at so many hotels now, it's not even funny. Usually it's a room and a gym. When you guys designed 
this place, it was always with the intent you were going to have pools. You were going to have an arcade. You were always going to have these extra restaurants and have all these different bars. Why did you decide to include all this extra stuff? Why not just build rooms? Sure. Stepping back even before that, why did Bavarian Inn want to build a hotel at all? And what's opposite of most norms is they were in the restaurant business. I told you they served hundreds of thousands of meals. And they said, what can we do to support the restaurant to serve more meals? And the logical answer is build a hotel so people stay longer and we can get maybe two meals, maybe even three meals out of them. If they stay two nights, maybe we'll get a breakfast and a lunch and a dinner and they'll eat somewhere else for one of their other dinners or something, but we'll get more meals. So that was the premise and the whole idea. But then within a hotel, we realized if you want to be more full service, and that's what Judy wanted, if you want to be more of a full service restaurant uh, or, or hotel, you need to offer dining options and you need to offer entertainment value. And they were already in the bar business at Bavarian Inn. So it didn't make sense to open a hotel and not act full service without both bar and dining. And we had a very small game room with with 100 rooms. It had four or five games in it tops. That's all we had. Right. And that was back when the pinball machine still had circular numbers rolling on them. <laughs> <laughs> Way back machine there. Yeah, yeah. So the, the idea when we added the 98 rooms is when we added a second pool. There was no hotels in Michigan with two indoor pools. It, it set us apart. There were no such things as Great Wolf Lodges or Kalahari Resorts or things like that yet. The water park world didn't, didn't exist. So uh, by having the two pools and then when we added on, a, it created a frenzy of demand because you can swim in two pools in this place it's, and two hot tubs. You know, nobody had it and in all of Michigan. And so we did the hash marks again. And before you know it, we're building another expansion. And now we build, you know, another waterfall pool. Now we're putting some water features into it because the idea of water features, we're at an outdoor water parks, not an indoor water parks. And Judy has been, off, has been referred to as uh, the mother of water park hotels at the World Water Park Association National Conventions. So we were doing this stuff just before the great wolf people came uh, out of the woods, so to speak, right. and built their places. Right. Oh, that's wonderful. So you've opened up the lodge. It's success. You've expanded two more times on top of that. 360 rooms, right. did you say? 360 rooms. Business is good. You've got you know, year round people are coming in. You've got all these festivals that are happening in town, everything else. I want to talk a little bit more about the loyalty program because this has kind of piqued my curiosity. First off, why would you start a loyalty program? Obviously, the business is coming in, sure. so you wouldn't have to worry about it. But you guys decided to launch a loyalty program anyway, so why do that? That's a, that's a wonderful question. We were up against a lot of competition. In Frankenmuth, we didn't have a lot of other competition of the kind of services we offer, but we had a lot of other hotels with the traditional rooms in one pool. The one property had no pool. When it comes to the local community, competition's at one level, but we have competition across the state. We're, we're trying to be an attraction town and we're an attraction hotel with two, with two and then later three pools. And it wasn't until 1998 that we learned that there was a loyalty school you can go to. Now, we've all been, we've been about marketing and the passion in marketing to families and couples and conventions and weddings all at the same time. We have mar multiple markets of people we're trying to attract here. We're sitting in one of our meeting rooms now that if we opened up all the walls, there could be a wedding in here for 240 people. And so uh, we're marketing to all these different mar groups. And what we learned from reading about loyalty and then going to loyalty school, which was basically like a four-day school in Chicago, and uh, was that you really want to get to know who are your best customers. You want to know 
you want to get to know them better. And when we went to that school, the idea of loyalty was still relatively young, not like in Hyatt and Hilton and Marriott and the big chains, but in the idea of all loyalty, it was still pretty young. People sitting in the room were major retailers with us and a cruise line company that didn't have a loyalty club yet. And we were the smallest company sitting at that school, absolute smallest. Everybody else was national or international company people uh, looking at, because well, if you start a loyalty club, if you ever want to get out of it, how do you do it right? They taught you that. How do you market to people to join in the membership of your loyalty club, especially if there's a fee involved, and I'll talk about that in a minute. But we, so we wanted to be able to understand how this all works, and we love the idea that we would get to know our, who our best customers are better. In fact, because you're tracking their purchases, you know them at the transactional level, not just, so I know if they stayed one time or 10 times or 22 times, and if they stayed 33 nights over 17 stays, or if they stayed five times with 20 nights, you know, stayed longer. So we see their length of stay, the how often, uh, and then by knowing the dates that they come, we learned about the idea of the recency of their visit and the frequency of their visit. Those are two big buzzwords in the loyalty world. So. Loyalty taught us a lot about marketing, and we thought, man, if we can understand our best customers even better, that's going to be a, a deep, strong value for it. And, you know, we're not doing it just in rooms. They get points in our loyalty club for every spend on dining in any of our restaurants. We have five restaurants within the Bavarian properties, and then we have 18 retail stores within our company, within the resort, and then there's the lodge itself. We have just the one hotel, but it's 360 rooms. So we're tracking all of their transactions at all those locations all the time. And so we know not just the best customers of Bavarian Inn, we know the best customers of every single one of those stores for any period of time you pick. Do you wanna know who your best customer is? at Severian's Royal Gift Shop for the year or just for three months, we can sift that out and tell you who those people are and hand you their email addresses or their mailing addresses if you want to mail them a postcard and thank them and give them some other reward maybe. So it's, it's powerful at the transactional level of why you would want to do a loyalty club. And if you know these people better, you can build better relationships with them You know, overall. You know how... Uh, I think you're aware that certain grocery stores, if you take that loyalty club and you get some extra discount, right? Yes. Yeah, and we all appreciate that. You don't want to leave money on the table, right? Correct. So guests, the public, don't want to leave money on the table. So some people might join the club just for that reason. And that's what's known more as being the rewards club. They're rewarding you for coming frequently and they're giving you a discount because you're a regular customer. A loyalty club is really more about the deeper relationship. So I think some of our guests are here for the rewards. Ah, okay. Interesting. Okay. Some of them. Many of them are here for the loyalty. The It's deeper. It's a deeper relationship. It's not a one and out. Because you could come stay here one time, have a big weekend, thirty, get $40 in rewards, let's say, out of uh, what your spend was. And, but you don't intend to stay overnight anymore. But you're going to maybe come through and have a chicken dinner. You'll spend the whole 40 at Bavarian Inn on chicken dinners, and maybe you'll not even ever renew the club down the road. And that's it. You're done. And there's other people. I just met a guest that, sadly, I didn't know them very well. I'd heard the name but not met them. They stayed here 186 times. Sweet Moses. In 30 years. 
Now that includes statistics before the loyalty club started because we had a software system going back, not all the way to the beginning, but they'd been staying before we could even count. So those are the ones we know about. So you talk about relationships and loyalty. There are, it would, you would all wonder why would anyone stay in one place that frequently? And I don't know the answer to that for that particular couple. They have family here maybe. I do. Um, I know the answer. Pick me, pick me, pick me. No, no, no. Because this is a, this is a really good point. I mean, this is the same reason why, like there's certain restaurants that I love to go to. And I always, by default, I'll drive by five or six other restaurants because I know that when I go to that restaurant, I'm going to have a good time. The go. food is going to be phenomenal. I'm going to have, you know, a killer view of the river, the lake, the stream or whatever it is. And I know that if I take somebody there, that they're going to have a good time as well, right? So go. that's the same kind of thing here. When you're, when you're talking about 186 times. You're looking for times. loyalty when you talk that way, Cliff. You're not looking for a deal. Is it too much to it's ask? Beyond, <laughs> it's beyond just getting 5% or whatever back. It's, it's also that. It, you want me to explain the mechanics of how the club works for the guest? So, uh, well, let's say I want to go back and, and touch on something here that you mentioned before, and then let's talk about the mechanics behind okay. it. You were talking about the difference between rewards and loyalty, now, I never differentiated those two in yeah. my mind. Like, I'm always thinking of, like, last night I did grocery shopping, and I will not name the name of the grocery store because I'm trying to get them on the podcast. Uh, but I went okay. shopping, and I got, like, $5 off my order, right? So it's like, you know, a little, little dopamine hit yeah. right there in the store. But I'm like, oh, cool, I get $5 nice. off. You know, yeah. that was nice. And they'll send me a coupon maybe once every two months or something else like that that says, hey, we'll give you a 50 cents off bananas because they know that I buy bananas. But your... You're talking about a loyalty program, which is really relationship-driven, and I'm, I'm fascinated by that topic. Can, can you dive a little bit more into that yes, and exactly yes. what it means? Talking about your grocery store analogy, you said it. They're trying to get a closer relationship with you. They're trying it to be more loyalty and not just reward because they handed you discounts on things that they know you like to buy. Right, right. It's a little packet of them you get usually, right? You know, if it's the same place I'm thinking, yes. if you get seven, eight, ten coupons in an envelope. Yep. And lo and behold, we have cats and we have cat litter on the list. You know, <laughs> I never get a German Shepherd food or something on there because we don't have a dog. And so they're trying. They're trying to personalize. That's another keyword in loyalty. You try to personalize your relationship with people within a loyalty club. But in the loyalty club world, they taught us you should have you have hard benefits and you have soft benefits. Now, a hard benefit is that reward. I give you, we give you 10% of, of your spend. And once you hit a certain threshold of dollars, we give you 10% back in the reward on your card. And so other places might give you 5% or 4% for grocery percentages aren't that lucrative to be that high typically. They'll give you, but they give you a hard reward. A, that's a hard benefit. The soft benefits are when you create maybe an activity or an event that isn't purely a transaction. For example, we just got through the 4th of July weekend, and for, I think, at least 10 or 11 years now, we've offered an exclusive location with exceptional view of the fireworks for Perks members to come lay, uh, out in the grass in a fenced-in area, reserved for Perks members only. Our Perks manager, Brandon, was at the gate to greet you and see your card and confirm that you're a Perks member. And you had a chance to talk to the top guy that we've got running our loyalty club. And he's uh, interacting with folks. And over the years, Dorothy Zender, our, who you've spoken of, would come and visit with Judy and visit and interact with the guests and watch the fireworks with them. So what's that worth? 
To some people, it's worth nothing because they didn't come. It doesn't it didn't have enough value to attract them? Right. They have, you know, it's a holiday. Lots of people have a f- traditional plans, but a lot of other people it, more valuable than any twenty dollars certificate. And uh, we had an anniversary, in our 30th anniversary, we got out all the original blueprints from when we built, and we invited Perks members who used to come, who came back in the beginning years. We didn't see it had to be the first year. And we, had, and we just had hors d'oeuvres and non-alcoholic bubbly. And uh, we, Judy and I had our hard hats on, and we had all the original <laughs> blueprints laying out on tables. And we just hung out with people and talked about it for about, it was a come-and-go reception. And we did it for three hours, and then we, we did a, few, a little bit of speaking on the subject. But there were two separate couples in that room that had stayed here on the first night we opened. And we opened a, a few weeks earlier than originally planned, so we had no carpet in the hallways. We had no carpet in the lobby yet. The furniture in the lobby hadn't shown up, so Judy brought her sofas from home, you know, put in the lobby <laughs> on the concrete floor. But, you know, but so we reminisced about those kind of stories and that stuff. Now, that interaction to them was cool and fun and different. And so we're trying to always blend in the loyalty world soft benefits and hard benefits. Absolutely love that. And what I would like to do, well, so one of the things that it makes me think of is kind of like that first class experience. You're, you're getting access to the special area. You can only yeah. get if you get a membership. Not everybody can you know get in here and be able to do that. And I think right there, that alone creates a very special memory. Because a lot of people, you know, they'll say, oh, yeah, I went to the lodge and da-da-da. But what they'll tell their friends about is, oh, we were out there in that special area. We, we had front row seats to the fireworks. Yeah. And, and it here's was just a picture totally awesome. of me with Judy and Dorothy Zender. There you go. Right? And here's the picture on my phone that we took as a group there with the kids. There we go. And, everything. and the, the airline industry has been on this. They've had tiered, there is tiered loyalty. And, and we don't have a tiered loyalty club, but that's it's a little more complicated. And we're, we're, one of, we're a very small loyalty club. We have... We're huge in the independent industry of lodging. We don't even know of another independent resort doing what we're doing in America. We have 30,000 paid members in the club. But if you're talking about the club for an airline or the club for a grocery store, you're talking a chain, a regional or national chain. You're talking about 8 million members or 100 million in the airline industry. It could be 100 million members. And some of them are diamond and pearl and all those different levels, right? And so they get different exclusivity. And it's usually on the hard benefit side, but there are soft benefit sides too of getting into the club for free and those kinds of things. So that whole rationale of, of different rewards for the more you are loyal to us, the more we will reward you happens in that tiered loyalty club world. And that's not something that can happen in an independent resort very much because we're just not that big right? Uh, compared to those big boys that are out there. And that's what's cool is we learn so much about marketing to people and about demographics from all these other players because we're part of a national association of loyalty clubs. And we get to listen in. As I'm, I'm in on uh, monthly calls where people from very high-end brands, their loyalty managers are talking. And I'm this little minnow amongst the whales, just absorbing everything that I can. And how can that help our little independent resort? It's a very, very powerful thing. And we were blessed to find a software that would even work with such a small club because we went and talked to many companies that did it at a national association. He said, and when you get to 2 million people, you can probably afford us in a club. Well, you know, we started with with nothing. And then we, we had gone to... We were doing this all on paper with paper certificates from 1999 till about seven years ago. And then we found a 
digital system that's we're like we like like the big boys we have a card and you take it over and you swipe it and you, for rewards you swipe it to track your purchases just like all the big boys but we couldn't find one someone that would do that with someone that had back then about 18,000 members now we're at 30,000 but we had 18,000 it was a difficult thing to try to act like a big boy loyalty club when you're in this one little town all right. by yourself well, the one thing too, and I want to point this out is, you know, you were using the minnow and the whale analogy. The, the benefit of being the minnow is you are flexible. You are nimble. You can be very fast to implement versus the, versus the whale, that. right? It's slow. It's lumbering. If you're trying to yeah. change directions, it's a lot of effort inside. So that actually gives you a very strong advantage. You're, you're very uh, perceptive on that. That is so true. We, we contribute at those calls, too, when we have them. And so more of these folks at the national level have heard our brand now and know the people who are in Ohio and Illinois, they all knew Frank and Muth, and they would acknowledge to the others about, oh, this is the greatest place. You got to go there kind of a thing, and which is humbling. But they're all jealous on that respect that they have to figure out how to communicate to members in their stores across the nation and get people to embrace people to talk about the loyalty club. And we have to do that. And I have a whole marketing campaign inside and outside this building on how we promote our loyalty club. And we can respond with things with our staff faster because I can physically walk to every location from where I'm sitting within, you know, uh, one-tenth of a mile. We're all within pretty much that distance of Bavarian Lodge. So uh, we are. We're much more nimble. It's still not easy because employees come and employees go and you have to repeat things and you have to keep finding, the, yep. you know, promoting. But the so many of our staff are really embracing the idea of plugging what the loyalty club's all about to our members or to our guests that want to become a member. Beautiful. I want to chase down something. You've mentioned it a few times in here, talking about paid versus not paid programs. Yeah. And you've got a paid program. Right. So I will tell you this, you know, based on, you know, from my experience before, usually when I've got something that says, oh, you can join for 50 bucks a year, whatever it is, it's usually in the trash. Sure. You guys implemented a paid program and it's been a success. So talk to us a little bit about what, we, what was your thinking behind that? The, uh, the concept was that we didn't want to just offer a discount to everyone that walked in the door. We didn't want to offer a discount to everyone that found a coupon in a flyer that was mailed to them on, with the Sunday newspaper back in the, those days when we did those things. We wanted to truly figure out who embraces our brand and likes us and f frequently, with some frequency at least, uh, wants to visit us. Now remember, they're not all overnight guests. Don't just think hotel. There are hundreds, while there are thousands of our Perks members who've never stayed overnight here, but that's because they live within eight or 12 or 20 or 30 miles of here, and they eat at our world-famous restaurant maybe every other week year-round. So 26 times in a year, maybe, they eat at that restaurant. And there are some people who just shop in a certain few of our stores over and over because we have some pretty cool stores like the Frank with Cheese House has cheeses, so many. It's like grocery in a certain niche, right? And they can get rewards for it. So the idea, they embrace the idea of having relationships. We didn't want 100,000 people because we couldn't afford to mail a mailer to 100,000 free members. And in Bragg, they have 100,000 free members or 80,000. We wanted to figure out how many would willing to pay. And it was a whopping $10. It's a $10 fee to join the club. And then to renew in your second year, it's $6. It's not asking a whole lot. But mind you, we were doing this in 1999 already. So $10 was a little more that long ago than it is now. And we haven't raised the prices in this many years on the membership. But for your $10, you would receive a all-you-can-eat family-style chicken dinner, which is our signature dinner at Bavarian Inn, free in the month of your birthday as well. Oh, cool. The price of that menu is nearly double the $10. 
But wait, there's more. <laughs> so does your spouse in the month of their birthday. So for that $10, you get two family-style chicken dinners in the month of each of your... If you are you both happen to have the same July birthday, you can come in the same time and both eat free. If you're different months, well, you, you know, and you're going to maybe bring people along with you and maybe you're not. But we know in the averages of celebrating birthdays, because we do a lot of birthday celebrating at our kinds of restaurants and in the overnight world, that people bring other people. So it's not common that two people come for birthday. It's maybe six or seven or 10 people come for, for a birthday. So we can certainly justify giving something with a very significant value on it to it. And then later we decided what other things can we do to that benefits us transactionally in some fashion, maybe, but really benefits the guests too. And we determined our indoor miniature golf course is the slowest day by quite a bit was Wednesdays, middle, that hump day, right? right? Middle of the week. And so we decided Perks Club members can get free miniature, playing miniature golf for free on any Wednesday of the year. We said, it says in our terms, we could have an exception week, like if it was during a Christmas school break week or something, but we haven't done it yet. We've allowed it every week of the year so far. They end up maybe playing some video games and some people have pizza and drinks afterwards or beforehand. And maybe some people don't spend a penny, but they came in and they know what we are better because of it. So, you know, those are all hard benefits, but they're all things that you get for a whopping $10. So the the $10 stops it from being a, a hundred or two hundred thousand person club that we can't. We still like to send paper newsletters out. We send out quarterly paper newsletters. Plus, we do everything digital, and um, we have lots of loyalty members who are in their sixties, seventies, eighties, and they still like paper. And they like paper to be able to show it to somebody else in the family. Look at the special room rates just for Perks members for the next three months. Here they are, and we can talk about when we want to go because it says which dates are what rate, kind of a deal. So. That's, that's why we wanted, we're happy at 30,000 members. We're happy at 25,000. We'll be happy at 35,000 members. We'll never be 100,000 paid, I don't think, just by the size of who we are right. in, in one town in, in little old Frankie Muth. Why don't you talk to us a little bit? Because you said, uh, I believe you said it was initially, you had 18,000 in this program? When we were switching from paper, a paper loyalty club where we had to mail you your $20 gotcha. certificates to getting digitized, we were at about 18,000 members. So what was it like to grow that? And walk us through that a little bit about that process. Because one day you started, you had zero. Yeah. And now you're at 30,000. Yeah. Mazel tov. So, so what, <laughs> what is, what, you know, how did you grow that? I mean, that's amazing. Yeah. The idea is really in, in the resort marketing world and the Disney folks and big brands do this all over. You have four walls marketing. Your four walls marketing is everything that you do within your building to promote to people who are already here. So obviously if someone's staying overnight, we're going to promote a restaurant or an upcoming festival or a, a certain, maybe it's a bourbon dinner or something. And we're going to promote those things to the guests who are here about coming back in the future. And so that's part of Four Walls Marketing. So it's the same way in marketing a loyalty club. Anyone who's visited any casino anywhere has seen the signs everywhere and promoting to come and get your free card and track and get free rewards and things like that. And so we wanted to internally start promoting it but we did a mailing to like our Chamber of Commerce members and a lot of the traditional local people like joined on day one. There are still hundreds and hundreds of people from within five miles of here that joined the Perks Club in October of 1999 and have still been a member ever since. I didn't mention if you spent more than $500 in a year, your renewal's free. 
So there is a free way to do this, but you're showing it transactionally. But it's only six bucks if you spend less than $500. Right. So it's not that bad, right? So we, we promoted internally to do it. We've, you know, when the internet came around and it was getting stronger in the early 2000s, and we, from the very beginning, we started promoting the idea of the Perks Club. It has its own web page. It has its own URL for it. It has its own uh, app. It's not a phone app. Well, it works on your phone too, but it's not an app where you go upload an app. You just go to a website on your phone and you can enroll and you can check your points. You can do all those things now. Every employee here is wearing an Ask Me About Our Perks Club, so we have to teach them about it, at least to the point that they can give them initial pitch and hand them a flyer about the Perks Club. And if people are having a blast and they're having a good time, and uh, they enjoy what's happening within their family. Remember, it's about their memories together. We're not here, we joke, we're frying chicken and making beds, but that's not why they came here, it's just to eat chicken and sleep. They came here to have an ex- a memory within their, co- as a couple or a bunch of couples or a family or a family reunion. All those, it, this is really about consumer-based loyalty. It's not a convention loyalty kind of a thing where the meeting convention person gets something because of it. It's, that's a different world. But it's all about, wow, we had great memories here and we want to start a tradition. And we have hundreds, well, clearly thousands of families who have traditions of coming here, like every Thanksgiving or every car show for the last 20 years or every Bavarian festival. I still visit and hang out with a couple at our Bavarian festival that they've come all 35 years we've been open every single year. And they usually stay four or five nights, which is longer than the festival, but they come from Sylvania, Ohio, right. a little farther away. But every year, I don't get once a year, but it's five nights stay and they're here every year. Wonderful. Now, with regards to, because you, you brought up the citrus to think about marketing. And I have to ask this question because when you started talking about you get the, the free dinner uh, the month of your birthday. So I joined a rewards program. I'm not going to call it loyalty. I'll call it a rewards program with a restaurant in Saginaw. And that's the only thing I remember is because I joined, I get a free meal for dinner. I never hear from them throughout the year. Oh, never sure. once have I got, they've got my email because yeah. when I'm checking out, they say, do you want a printed receipt or email it to me? I say email and I get that. Never right. hear from them. I, I, I could literally forgot about them until you just now brought it up, yeah. right? Yeah. So with regards to your emailing and, and touching out with this 30,000 people that you have, what does that model look like? Because obviously sure. the more touch points you have, the more you know, you're gonna get people to come back to your 18 yeah. different businesses that you have. Right. Well, when you join the loyalty club with our with the software, the company called Snip Loyalty, Snip Interactive Loyalty is that who we work with. The basic thing is we need your email address, your first and last name, and your birthday, and your spouse or significant other's birthday. Those are the required fields. It's optional to get your street address in your city, your state, your zip. We like that because we offer to still snail mail you a newsletter four times a year. It used to be six times a year, and we felt we don't really need to do it that way as we become more and more digital. It still goes in a PDF to everyone every quarter, so there's your four guaranteed emails. But then we're also, it's automated in the software to deal with your birthday. So you're getting the reminder about 10 days before the beginning of the month of your birthday with a link to a specific thing about how to redeem your family-style chicken and dinner reward at Bavarian Inn. That's automated. We don't have to. It's customized in the software to do that. And it's not 30 days after your birthday. It's the month of your birthday. So if your birthday is the end of May, it's the whole month of May. It's not from your birthday to the next 30 days out. It's just the month of May. So all that's automated. And then they just do a redemption thing at at our big Bavarian Inn restaurant on Main Street to redeem those. And so what's cool when you talk about that is I talk about personalizing. One of our 
18 retail stores can choose. And we really have this at that level that departments and division managers can extract from the loyalty club and do things. And we have a long ways to go, but this is, I'll give you examples of how sophisticated we can be. They can say, give me my top 100 loyalty club members who spent in my store last year, and I want to spend them, send them a special coupon. It might be digital, it might be snail mail. Right. Be, like, we can do either. Unless their top 100 didn't give their snail mail address and only gave email. And then they'll push that to them. So this is a loyalty club at every store level of every of the five restaurants and all of all of Bavarian Inn retail stores separate from each other, or I can cluster them. I can, we could say if there's, I believe there are five retail stores in the lower level of Bavarian Inn restaurant, we can meld that transactional data and tell you the top 100 for those stores together. Now, if we want to get more sophisticated, I, they could say, and we could extract this, a little more work, tell me all the people who stayed overnight at Bavarian Inn Lodge in the first three months of last year that didn't spend in my store and give ah. me that list so I know that they were here, but they didn't come. Or we can just do that. We can even do that just as a whole resort. We can say, hey, these folks haven't come in the first quarter of the last two years, but they renewed. They're dining, but they're not staying overnight. We can, it's a much smaller group of people. Now all of a sudden you're talking about maybe you're reaching out to 400 people or 1,000 people, not 30,000 people. And so you can get more personalized with things. And we do know to some extent on their databases, if they come with kids or not, because we say how many adults, how many children yes. in your room reservation. So we can focus just on couples if we want to. So if we're going to do a bourbon dinner thing, maybe we're going to just market and promote that. We're talking about a bourbon festival coming up next year. And so if we do that, that might be a situation where we're just going to push that out to the couples in the loyalty club stronger in email and paper. And we'll mention it in the overall newsletter. Nothing like getting inundated with something you're not at all interested in. If you've never, and I, I, we're having an internal debate on this one, I'll say, why do we want to send newsletter, paper newsletters to the, for the first quarter when maybe 2,000 of the 30,000 people have never, ever, ever visited us in the first quarter? Why should we waste our time and effort and their viewership of having to throw that away? <laughs> yeah. Let's just not send it to them. And then there's, well, maybe we'll convince them that they'll come this time. You know, So you have those kind of debates. Hope that are, Oh, man, we might convince them finally. Yeah, but they have never done it before. They always come at uh, you know Oktoberfest. They don't come in the first quarter. So, uh, so we can market to, in very focused ways by extrapolating data from, because we know them transactionally and we know them by date of when they visit and we know how frequently they visit. I don't spend a lot of time and effort trying to get someone who stays, has stayed historically with us 20 or 60 or 100 times to come one more time. It's really more who stayed once and we can get them a second time and who stayed two or three times and we can get them one more time. Yes. One more time. And that's true whether they're a loyalty club member or not, of course. Uh, there's, there's lots of people that just don't join clubs. And, uh, but there's, still, there's probably some folks who are very loyal and they don't join. Uh, they don't just want to bother with clubs. It does, it's not important to them to do that. And they're not in it for the reward. They're in it. You know, they just have fun and they're here. So. And you bring up a good point, too, that... This was something I saw in some, I think it was the Bar Rescue show on TV, and I can't remember that cat's name, but he was talking to the owners of this bar. They served food, and he told them that their whole mission in life was to get people to show up three times. And it's statistics show that if you get somebody to show up more than three times, you've got them for life. It sounds like this is what you're doing as well. When you're going out and targeting the person that stayed there one time, yeah. what can we do to get them to come back for another visit, another stay? 
Well, and that's a, a good segue into the idea that you don't build a loyalty club if you have below average service and below average amenities. Yes. If you do those things, you will epically fail. You have to be on, on your game, at minimum on your game, and you should be on top of your game big time. And we always think we can do better every single day. And there are times that guests feel we fail. And that's very infrequent, but it happens. And it happens anywhere when you're trying to reach high. Everyone's perception of what uh, great value is and a great experience is varies. Uh, and when they get here, they might be disenchanted. Some people call our theme kitschy. <laughs> I, I kind of like the word kitschy because maybe we are kitschy, but we're trying to help you escape to, to a Bavarian. You're going to Germany, you feel like you're going to Germany, but you didn't have to get a passport, right? It, and it was a lot more affordable to come to Franken with Michigan than to go to Munich, Germany. But when it comes to that relationship with people, you just have to... Um, Keep trying to make sure you're on top of your game with all levels of service in dining and in how you treat people face-to-face, one-on-one. And we have to do that with the employee that just started a week ago, <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. which happens every week. There's a new employee every week. <laughs> <laughs> Training never ends. Training never ends. So, Jim, if somebody's listening to this podcast, uh, they want to you know, connect with you. Maybe they want to check out the, the loyalty program, which, by the way, I learned a lot about today. So thank you for that. But if they want to check it out, where, where can they go? Uh, BavarianPerks.com is one site. And also, if they just go to our overall BavarianIn.com site, you'll see the loyalty club on just about every page on the site mentioned. From there, you can look at dining versus lodging versus shopping. Maybe you're close by and you just want to come and shop. You know, we have ladies' clothing stores, and we have food-related stores like the Cheese House and the Jerky Joint, which is a very small store, but has a massive volume of that one kind of subject. And they have sausages and a little bit of cheese and other things and pickled stuff, but they're really all about jerky. And so there's a lot of people who are just in niche things here that they're passionate about with us, because some of our stores are within that uh, Franklin with River Place shops that we help operate, and then some are on Main Street, and then the lower level of Bavarian is retail, and the Lodge has two retail stores. Many people come into play like video games at the Lodge and miniature golf. They're not overnight guests. And that's become more true after going through the pandemic that people were looking for more things to do and were going bonkers. We took our video games outdoors during the pandemic in the summer. Yes, you did. And, uh, and then we brought them back in. And ever since, there's proportionally a huge volume more of people who are coming in from the outside every week and every weekend. So it almost skews our in-house data because we take our revenues in that area and we divide it by the room sold. And they're like, wait, these people aren't spending all that money. There's a bunch of new people coming in. We can't tell which ones are which. But thank you. Yes, we're, we try to stay on top of being updated on those websites. And we're very, very proud of our loyalty club because we really are amongst ourselves in the industry on the independent resort world of having a loyalty club. Exactly. And for our audience, we will have all those links in the show notes down below. Jim, it's been awesome having you on the podcast today. Thank you very much. Like I said before, I've learned a truckload today. So thank you for that. My pleasure. My pleasure. And if anyone listens to this and you stop at Bavarian Lodge, ask me at the front desk, then we'll I'll tell Cliff that you listen. <laughs> <laughs> Mention this podcast when you talk to Jim. <laughs> hey, everyone. Before you go, I want to invite you to the Call of Leadership community. Here you can get access to some really great behind-the-scenes goodness like upcoming guests, interviews, but you can also get thoughts from these interviews as well as actionable tips that you just will not find anywhere else. Plus, you can stay current with what's going on not only with this community, but with this awesome show because there's some good stuff that's coming. 
join us by going to calloflearship.com slash email. Once again, that's calloflearship.com slash email. And I'll catch you in the next episode.